Boom. It's gone. What? Yeah. I wanted to wear hats again, Julie. And so I had to, I had to cut off the mane. But it'll grow back, hopefully. We'll see. Uh, Y'all, what's, what's up? It's good to be here. It's been, it's been a month, right? Yeah. A whole month. That seems like a long time. And it's good to be back. So, I mean, Edibon, he got us all hyped up. But CE is this Saturday. And that's a big deal. And so if you haven't yet, put it on your calendar. Uh, this is something that we need to be promoting through social media. Uh, this is something in terms of promotion that we're, we're just a little behind the ball on. And so we want to start having those conversations if you haven't already. We want to start inviting our friends. And we want to start planting seeds for even next month, right? CE is going to be the, the third week next month. And so we want to be reminding them about this time. But we also want to say, man, you need to get it in your calendar for next month too because you don't want to miss it, right? And so uh, if you haven't done that already, uh, let's just prioritize being there. Uh, it is one of the, the key kind of staple things that we do uh, as Friends of Internationals. And one of the awesome things about CE is that it's one of the events that we get to have on campus. What, what a great opportunity to be on campus, right? And so again, uh, let's be intentional to all rally and to get behind this. If we don't own it, then, then who will, right? Uh, and so uh, let's as a... As friends of international, uh, let, let's own cultural exchange, and it's going to be a really great time. I mean, Chipotle. Oh man, glory to God! We got. Oh man, so awesome. So we will be back in the story of Joseph. Do you guys remember Joseph, our buddy Joe? Well, he's still he's still kicking it. Um, and so the the title is Dreamer, and. Just kind of by way of entry, uh, for those of you who haven't been kind of hanging out with us uh, through just kind of a, a character study and a survey of the life of Joseph, uh, we'll give you a little bit of background. And so whenever we started out this, this story and diving into the life of Joseph, uh, we looked at his kind of his backstory, right? We looked at his family history and we learned that Joseph's upbringing was perhaps a little bit more troubling, a little bit more difficult than you might assume at first glance. Uh, we saw that there's lots of family drama and dysfunction all around him. And yet we, we've read the end of the story. And for those of you who haven't been with us, the spoiler alert is that despite all this drama, despite the dysfunction that he grew up with, Joseph would become the prime minister of the most powerful nation in the world, right? And he'd be, go on to, to save the entire world from starvation. And so the lesson to us was that despite our, our background, despite the drama, the dysfunction that's surrounding us, God can still use us. He can elevate us beyond our present situation, and he can use us for his glory. And so instead of allowing these hardships that we face in our life to derail us, instead of allowing these hardships in our life to, to define us as a victim, through these hardships, he can actually use it through his providence to develop us. Hello, somebody, right? Just like a diamond under pressure, man, you get this beautiful product. And actually through the hardships in our life, God can use that to develop us for, for whatever he'd had for us in the future, right? And we're going to see that through the life and the story of Joseph. Uh, we're in Genesis chapter 37. And so by verse two, we're introduced to Joseph really for the first time. And we get to consider his age. We, we considered his occupation. 
We considered his sibling dynamics. We looked at the character of Joseph all in one verse, right? That the character of Joseph. And so Joseph, he was 17 years old. And so he'd be entering into a season of life like a lot of you, where you're stepping into to manhood, you're stepping into womanhood. And for the first time, he'd be growing in his responsibilities. He'd be growing outside of the oversight of his father. Uh, he was a shepherd by trade. And so he was learning the ins and outs of the family business. And his brothers are, so Joseph, he would have been the 11 out of 12 brothers, right? So he's got lots of older brothers. And so I don't know if any of you grew up with older siblings, but man, I've got an older sister and I look up to her, right? And so Joseph, he'd have 11, no, 10 brothers to look up to. And yet when we study their lives, we see that instead of them being good examples, they were bad examples. And whenever they got outside of the oversight of their father and they're on the road doing their, their shepherding work, that they, they took that liberty to engage in unspeakable acts. And yet, rather than being influenced by the peer pressure of his younger brothers, we see that Joseph was a man of integrity, right? When, when no one was looking and temptation was at his door, he chose to do what was right. And so we, we learned a lot uh, from Joseph and we'll continue to learn a lot from Joseph about uh, just what it means to be a man and woman of integrity. And finally, we looked at Joseph and his relationship with his brothers. And man, that was a doozy, right? His brothers, it says over and over and over again, that his brothers hated him, right? And so we discussed this hatred that was taking roots in, in the lives of his brothers. And although many scholars argue that Joseph's brothers were justified in their hatreds towards him, uh, you know, they're wrong. This hatred that was manifesting in them led to this unholy wrath and attempted murder eventually of their own brother. There's nothing good about that, right? And so we learned that while many times we feel justified in our hatred towards others, more often than not, it actually reveals where our own heart is. When we're harboring hatred towards someone else, we can say, man, they did this and that, and so they deserve this. But, but if we're harboring this hatred, more often than not, it actually reveals where our own heart is. And when our hearts are full of hatred, hatred towards others, it usually reveals a carnal and a self-focused mentality that doesn't trust God's providence. So rather than giving in to, to these feelings of hatred, the Bible tells us to cast off hatred and to put on biblical love. And so like Joseph, whenever we, we're, we're met with hatred, we get to choose to, to nourish. We get to choose to comfort. We get to choose to speak kindly to those around us instead of responding to evil with evil. And, and the best example, the best picture of this that, that we could ever find is the life and the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? While we were yet his enemies, while we hated, while, while we crucified him, he laid down his life loving us. What an example. And so for us, we ought to do the same for others. And that brings us to our passage today. So, so that's the introduction. That's where we've been in the life of Joseph. And today we're going to be in chapter 37. And so if you haven't, start turning there with me. Do you have a Bible? If you have a Bible, lift it up in the air. Okay, I see iPads. I see phones. I see Bibles. All right, you guys are ready. Are you ready to get to work? It's been a long week, huh? Y'all look a little bit tired. Guys, fall is here, and it's so exciting. We had soup today. My wife made chili this week. Mm, I get look. I'm wearing a flannel. <laughs> fall is here. All right, so we're gonna camp out in 
actually the same exact passage that we were in last week, all right? Uh, but this time we're going to zero in on the dreams. So last week, uh, we looked at a, a lot of passage, and we kind of glossed over two dreams that Joseph had. And in this passage, uh, we're going to look at Joseph and how he hears from the Lord. And it's going to be interesting because Joseph hears from the Lord in a different way than we look to hear from the Lord today, right? And so what I like to say is that this passage, it's historical. And so it's descriptive of what happened in Joseph's life, but it's not prescriptive for how we have to live our life, right? And that's actually a lot of the Bible. A lot of the Bible is written for us, but not all of it's written to us. And this is a really, really good example of that. And so there's going to be principles, there's going to be doctrines, there's going to be really good historic truths that we can see in this passage, but it doesn't mean that we have to look for God to work in that same exact way in our lives. And we're going to see that particularly when it looks to how God communicates to us today, right? And so, uh, yeah, re regardless of this, uh, there's going to be some incredible insights on how we should receive and handle God's word. Uh, and so if you're there, we're going to start in verse five. It says, and Joseph dreamed a dream. Joseph dreamed a dream. And he told his brethren, and then they hated him yet the more. Man, these brothers, they, 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 they hate Joseph. And he said unto them, here, I pray you this dream, which I have dreamed. And verse seven says, for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brother said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for, this, uh, for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream, uh, dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, what is this dream that thou dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. Okay, so we got a lot going on here. We've got Joseph dreaming two dreams, and we're going to get to the content of the dream, but we're going to start by making one thing clear. And the, the thing that we really need to take away, that we need to make clear in this passage, is that God was communicating to Joseph through a dream. That's crazy, right? We, we can read this, and guys, it's prophetic in nature. These dreams that Joseph are dreaming, we're going to see them come to fruition in the future, right? And so God is communicating to Joseph through a dream. And this is a big deal because just like Joseph, God wants to communicate to you today, right? God has a message for you as well. Unfortunately, few people have ears to hear the message that God is communicating to them. And this is why Joseph's brothers, they're, they're full of envy and they're full of hatred. And my heart for you all and for us is that we would be peculiar people that when no one else is hearing from God, we'd be hearing from God, right? Joseph's brothers, they didn't have this dream. They weren't hearing from the Lord, but Joseph was. And in 1 Samuel chapter three, we actually see a really similar account to this. So this is a time before King David where, where the word of the Lord was not open in Israel, right? There was no new revelation. Uh, There's no open prophecy in Israel. And in this time, in this season, when God was not communicating 
to God's people in 1 Samuel chapter 3, we see this, this little boy named Samuel. And when God's not communicating to the nation of Israel, he starts communicating to Samuel, right? To this little child, just like little Joseph, God starts communicating to him. And you see these really eerie simulations, right? It was amidst his sleeping when God started calling Samuel, right? It was amidst his time of sleep and start, God started calling Samuel. And so get this down. Our key point number one is that God is always trying to get the attention of those who are asleep in this world. God is always trying to get the attention of those who are asleep in this world. And, and some of you all missed that. And so I'm going to break this down for you. So sleep in the Bible is synonymous with death. And we see this in John chapter 11, where, where Jesus, he, he, he's communing with his disciples, and he tells them that his really good friend Lazarus is sleeping. And his disciples are like, oh, cool, that's good. He's sick. He probably needs to sleep. And then Jesus is like, no, you guys don't get this, right? They're, they're not understanding what he's saying. And so finally, he speaks boldly to them, and he says that Lazarus is dead. And this is a familiar story. It's well known, because Jesus would go to meet Lazarus this man that's sleep, this man that's dead, and he would call him out of sleep and back into life, right? And, and if you aren't in Christ, the Bible says that you're currently dead in your trespasses and sin. You're spiritually dead. And so what God is calling for, for, for everybody in this world is to wake up, right? He's calling them to wake up and he's calling them out of sleep and into spiritual life. And so we see passages like Ephesians 5.14, wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. And we see passages like Romans 13 verses 11 through 13, where it says, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. And so we see that Jesus is constantly calling us to listen up. He's saying, hey, if you have ears to hear, then hear this message I have for you. He's calling us to wake up out of sleep because so many of us are dead. He's calling us to cast off the unfaithful works of darkness and to step into the light. And I'd be crazy not to mention that Jesus is the light. He, he's the light that came into this world. And the problem is that men love darkness rather than light. And his word, it is a light, right? It's a lamp into my, it, it's a lamp. It's a, it's a light into my path, right? His word, it is a light. And, and the problem is that so many of us are sleeping and we don't even know it. And he's just calling us to wake up. The, the light of God's voice is shining will we retreat back into the darkness? Are we okay not hearing from God? And, and the crazy thing is that so many of us, you know, we, we have the capacity as believers, as people that are awake to function as if we're asleep, right? If we don't actually acknowledge God's word, which is a light, then we can actually sleepwalk through this life. Wow, let that not be us. And so the key question is, you know, Joseph is a man that heard from the Lord. Do you? Do you hear from God? And we're going to continue to study this passage out. And the goal in studying this out is to demystify what it means to hear from God. Right? We can read a passage like this and we can see 
Joseph dream, these, these crazy dreams and God's communicating to him. And we could be asking ourselves, man, is God communicating to me through dreams? How do I make sense of this dream that I dreamed last night? God, God has a message to me through that. And instead, we're, we're completely missing out on what he's called us to do through his word, right? And so as we study the Bible, we see that God is calling us. But it's not this audible voice from heaven that's speaking out to us, you know. It's not through the, the, these crazy dreams of, uh, of stars and, and moons and, and suns and, and sheaves, right? But instead, the Bible tells us that, that creation declares the glory of God. And so we can look around and we can see the, the majesty, the beauty, the, 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 the awe of creation, and we can know that there's a creator, right? So, so there's a general revelation that, man, if there, there are things and there has to be a thing maker, right? But also, man, we have the specific revelation of God through his word. And, and this book tells me that it, it has all things pertaining to life and to godliness. It's sufficient. It's sufficient for everything, right? And so what are the nature of dreams? As we study this passage out, we see two dreams. They can be kind of confusing. What do we do with dreams in the Bible? And it's not the clearest subject matter uh, in the Bible. There's still a lot that I don't understand, uh, but I'd like to speak a little bit regarding uh, the, the, the nature of dreams and to provide some guiding principles uh, that are clear in the Bible as it pertains to dreams. And so guiding principle number one is the fact that dreams, though not common, were used to communicate God's will and word in days prior to the inspiration of written scripture. So prior to this book being complete, man, God, God would speak through his word. He, he'd speak his word through dreams, uh, his will through dreams uh, prior to the, 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 the written uh, scripture. But even then, it wasn't a common practice, right? And, and I want to be clear about that. This was not a common tactic throughout the Bible. There are a few instances of God communicating through dreams. Uh, the, the few, they're very clear and they're irrefutable, uh, but they're just few and far between. And so we can see uh, in the life of Jacob in Genesis uh, chapter 28 and chapter 31 uh, that, that God is speaking to him very clearly through dreams. Uh, more than likely, Joseph being Jacob's son, he'd be very familiar with this. And so whenever this interaction happened to himself, he'd be really sensitive to, to take heed to, to God speaking, communicating to him through the dream. Uh, we see dreams in the life of Pharaoh's baker and butler and Pharaoh himself in Genesis chapter 40 and 41. Uh, we see Gideon uh, heard the telling of a dream in Judges chapter 7. Uh, in 1 Kings chapter 3, we see God communicate to Solomon through a dream. Uh, in Daniel chapter 2 and 4, uh, we see uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. Uh, and then after that, in Matthew 2, we see Joseph's dreams. And so that might sound like a lot, but this is a book that spans more than 4,000 years of history. There's 66 books in it. There's tons of, like, I don't even know how many names that, that, that are contained in this book. And out of all that, we see five times in scripture where, where someone is receiving a word from God through a dream. And, and all that to say, this is not a very common way for, for God to communicate to man, right? And so if we live our lives in a way that's seeking a new revelation through dreams, it's just not warranted through the Bible. Uh, I can't think of a, a single place in our scripture that calls for us to look for God to communicate to us through a dream. It, it, it's not there. Uh, key point number two is that dreams can be delusions influenced by Satan. And so another reason that we shouldn't look to dreams for direction 
is the fact that the, actually the overwhelming majority of scripture is warning us against dreams, right? Uh, as we study the Bible, the overwhelming instruction uh, surrounding dreams is a warning against these dreamer of dreams who use them to promote false doctrine and false prophecy. We see it over and over again. Uh, we see it in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses one through five. It says, if there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, say, let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them, then thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet. And so he's saying, hey, even if he gives a dream and it comes true, and it's contrary to the word of God, and it's leading you to, to other gods, even if it comes true, right? He can give a prophetic word that can come true and still don't listen to him, right? God's warning against these false prophets. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you and knoweth whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And so what do we do to discern that? Oh man, we just got to know his voice actually. Whoa, like we got the, the passcode. Right, we we can beat that level now. We, man, we, we put it all, we filter it all through the word of God. And the prophet or dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. That's how seriously God takes this. Hey, if you're gonna lead people contrary to my word and, and say it's me, man. Wow, that, that was that man, crazy. This is how serious God took this in Jeremiah 23. Verses 25 through 27, it says, I have heard what the prophets said, that prophecy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, uh, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of deceit of their own heart, which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. And so again, in Jeremiah, he's warning against these prophets and these dreamer of dreams who are telling these, you know, seducing stories and are drawing people away from God unto false gods, unto Baal. And so if we look to our dreams for direction, we will be susceptible to deception. And that was a rhyme that I want you all to acknowledge. I worked really hard on that. Right. Yes. Thank you. But no. So, guys, if we look to our dreams for direction, we're susceptible to deception. Right. There are zero instructions in our Bible that, that tell us to seek uh, dreams for, for the Lord's instruction. But there are incredibly clear passages throughout our Bible that tells us about the sufficiency of Scripture. Man, their entire Psalm 119, the, the longest chapter in your Bible is telling you about the beauty, about the beauty, the majesty of this word how it's sufficient to lead you and to guide you. Psalm 19 declares that the beauty, the majesty of this word. Second Timothy chapter 3, 16 tells you all the things that this book is good for, that it leads us, right? That gives us clear direction and instruction, that we can stand on the promises of God, that we can declare it is written because we can have faith and confidence in his word and not in our circumstances, right? It is written, it is written, it is written. We can know that this word has all things pertaining to life and godliness. 
that this word is a lamp into our feet, it's a light into our path, that it rebukes, it corrects, it instructs. And instead of, of trusting our emotions, instead of leaning on these mystic dreams or experiences, we can have certainty and direction through the very word of God. That's powerful. The, the world doesn't have this, right? Three, dreams are, are, are self-induced mechanisms to psychologically process stress, right? And so dreams, they're, they're unbridled reason. They're unbridled reason. And in Isaiah uh, chapter 29, it actually uh, kind of illustrates this point. In verse eight, it says, it shall even be as when a hungry man dreameth and behold, he eateth, but he awaketh and his soul is empty. Or as when a thirsty man dreameth and behold, he drinketh, but he awaketh and behold, he is faint and his soul hath appetite. And so more often than not, this typifies our dreams, right? Think about it. It's Friday night. You went to, to, to Joe's Pizzeria and you got a, a whole order of stuffers to eat by yourself, right? And then you got some, some man, that, that neon green Mountain Dew that you, you slam down the pizza with. And then you, you go down the street to be blessed by the, the frozen milk and honey that is Andy's custard. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. And for some reason, you had the most intense psychedelic dream of green tigers and, and pizza rolls bowing to you as you rode on the back of an eagle. Right. And, and I can assure you that rather than that being a divine prophecy over your life. Right. It's actually your body and subconscious trying to make sense of the torture that you put it through. <laughs> right? and, and I say that all kidding aside, but, but man, is that not true? Uh, lastly, God is the interpreter of dreams. Whoa. Hello, somebody. God is the interpreter of dreams. As we study the Bible, we see over and over again. Uh, we see this in the life of Daniel. Uh, we see this in the life of, um, of Joseph, that, that God is the interpreter of dreams. And so I'm not here to tell you that God doesn't use dreams today, though I might be skeptical of the way that many people are given to their dreams and trying to make interpretations of them. I do know that based on the word of God, that God alone is the interpreter of dreams. And we see this in Genesis uh, chapter 41, verses 15 through 16, where Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. I've heard uh, say of thee that thou canst understand a, a dream to interpret it. So Pharaoh's coming to Joseph and saying, hey, I've got this dream. I can't make sense of it. I heard that you can. And what does he say? Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Hey, I can't do anything, but I, I know the God of heaven. He can give you an answer. And Daniel chapter two, verses 16 through 22 when Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation, then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in the night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever for wisdom and might are his. It's not me. I can't do this. 
And he, and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge unto them that know understanding. It is God. He, in verse 22, revealeth the deep and secret things. God reveals the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light both with him. It's not in me. I, I can't make sense of this, but, but God can. And so that being said, you know, anything that we feel, anything that we hear, anything that we experience has to stand to the scrutiny of the word of God, right? It has to stand to the scrutiny of the word of God. It ought to, to lead us to his word, which is certain and true, and to the counsel of wise men, right? The first thing he does, he goes to Hananiah, right? To, to his boy, uh, Azariah, to, to Mishael, right? The, the counsel of wise men, where we find safety and accountability and confirmation, no thing is up for private interpretation. God alone is the interpreter. And so we must take every thought captive and filter it through the lens uh, of his word, of this book. And so our key point number two is that better than our dreams are the truths found in the word of God that illuminate our path and offer hope in the dark. Better than our dreams are the truths found in the word of God that illuminate our past and offer hope in the dark. And so we've set this up, right? You're like, man, I thought we were in Genesis 37. Yeah, we are. So, so let's dive into the dreams. Like, I just wanted to give you a backdrop in terms of the nature of dreams so we can make sense of it moving forward. So in verse seven, we see the first dream from Joseph. It says, for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. Who's the we? Who's he talking to? He's talking to his brothers, right? So behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheep arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheep. And so y'all, what is a sheaf? You got any farmers in here? What, what is a sheaf? Okay. Say it with some confidence, y'all. Okay. So we got a bundle of wheat here. And I would say that it's a bundle of grain or agriculture, right? Maybe it's not wheat, but it's a bundle of something. And it's agriculture. And it's probably a grain. Okay. So, uh, yeah, you're, you're spot on. So the interpretation of this dream is really, really simple, right? It's so simple that the brothers themselves can interpret it like that. Like, oh, that's what you're saying, Joe? For real? For real, right? And so the interpretation is that the 11 sheaves bow down to Joseph's sheaves. And these 11 sheaves are clearly representative of his brothers, because guess how many brothers he has? He's got 11 of them, right? And so immediately becomes clear. And it's representative of his brothers who will ultimately uh, bow down to him as a result of an agricultural calamity. And we're going to see this as we continue to study out the life of Joseph, that this dream comes true. His brothers will ultimately bow down before him as a result of an agricultural calamity. And so the, the sheaves, 12 in total, represent Joseph and his 11 brothers. And I'll point out that Joseph offered no interpretation for this dream, but none was needed. The brothers could clearly see the interpretation and the significance of this dream. And it only stoked the flame of their hatred. And the, the crazy thing, if you think about this, so picture this, who has like a bunch of brothers or siblings? Say that you do. 
four brothers. So if one of them woke up, one of your, you got younger brothers? No. Okay, so it'd be like if you woke up and told your brother like, hey man, I dreamed this dream and you guys are all gonna bow to me. They'd be like, oh man, Sailor's kind of crazy, you know? <laughs> but but y'all, these brothers, they're taking this so hard. Like this is like a dream and they're completely crushed by it to a point where they're they're hating their brother. That seems like an odd response, right? Why would they be so, you know, beat up and hurt by this dream? Well, Joseph had a testimony of integrity and honesty. And so this is such a crazy dream. Clearly, Joseph's not making this up, right? No, the, the, the truths of his word were, were reliable. They, they knew that there was something to this. And, and the truth of his words were not convenient for the lifestyles of his brothers, right? So his brothers, they'd have no reason to doubt this dream. And man, he, he's a man of integrity. He's a man of honesty. And if these things are true, and this actually comes against their lifestyle, right? This is not convenient for their lifestyle. And so they harden their heart towards it uh, as so many people do towards the word of God, right? Th this, this truth has negative implications on my life. And so I reject it, right? And so they grew and hate toward the messenger because of the message. <clears throat> and so why did they hate it? It had ne negative implications on their lifestyle. And it would require them to submit to an authority, right? It would require them to submit to an authority. They'd have to bow to Joseph. And they perceive that this submission would be bondage rather than freedom. Man, if we have to submit to Joe, man, that, that, that has negative implications on my life. This is going to be bondage to my younger brother. There's no freedom in this to me, right? And so many people perceive the word of God in this way. Man, man if God's word is true, then I have to have an authority over me. If God's word is true, then it speaks to, to my sexual liberties and to my worldly indulgences. And they assume that abiding in Christ brings bondage when in reality it brings freedom, right? And, and that's how Joseph's brothers are seeing this. And, and the crazy thing is, man, I've been, you know, you could look at, at different scholars and theologians who, who write on this particular passage. And a lot of them say that Joseph's wrong for sharing this dream with his brothers, and in reality, it serves actually some really great points of faith building, right? Both for, for Joseph and for his brothers in the future to look back at a prophecy that outside of God could never be fulfilled. It, it promoted greater faith and trust in his word, right? And these words to Joseph would serve to him as hope while he was in the pit, while he was in slavery, while he was in jail. These dreams were the hope that Joseph had moving forward. And we'll soon see that he was hanging on to these dreams and he was hoping in them amidst his lowest points in life. Man, but God said this. That's what he's telling himself while he's in jail. Man, but, but, but God told me this, right? But to his brothers in a time of great famine, these dreams coming true would be a point of great rejoicing where they initially perceived that bowing to their brother was an infringement upon their rights. By the time it comes true, by the time it comes to fruition, they're willingly bowing before him, where before they couldn't see it, right? Why would we bow to Joe? It's an infringement upon my rights. And when it comes to, to it, when they're finally bowing before him, they're able to do it freely because for the first time they realize, man, Joe is authoritative, right? He, he is an authority over me. For the first time they realize that he is worthy of reverence. For the first time they realize that in him is not bondage, but salvation. 
And don't we all have to get there? Where, man, initially we can see this word as rules and laws and authoritative over me and as bondage. But by the time we come down and actually submit to it and bow to it, we're able to do it because we realize, no, it is an authority. No, no, it is, you know, reverent. No, no, it isn't bondage. It's actually freedom, right? And so key point number three, we must share and hold on to the promises of God. There will be a source of comfort and hope in hard times and a testimony of God's power to the lost world. We must share and hold on to the promises of God. Man, as you get promises in this book, man, you got to hold on to it. You got to repeat it to yourself. You got to repeat it to anybody that'll listen, right? Anybody that'll listen, whether they believe in Jesus or not. Because what's going to happen is as those things come true in your life, it's not only going to be a point of rejoicing for yourself, but it's going to be a testimony to the people that don't believe. Well, man, that God actually is powerful. Man, man his words do come true right? Dream number two, verse nine says, and he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars made obeisance to me. Man, this dude knows how to dream, right? And so the interpretation of this one, the sun, the moon, the 11 stars bow down to Joseph in the second dream, it's celestial, right? And this shows the promotion of Joseph over the whole of Jacob, right? Israel himself gave the proper interpretation of this dream. The sun, moon, and stars are, are, are represent Israel worshiping their Messiah. And, and as much as this dream is pointing to Joseph, I'd be crazy not to point out their double fulfillment in Christ, Right? And so we've been talking about how Joseph is really the perfect picture of Jesus Christ in our Bible. And just as Israel, which is um, Joseph's brothers, just as Joseph's brothers rejected Joseph and killed him, well, so did Israel to Jesus, right? They, they rejected Jesus, they killed him. And yet one day in the future, as Joseph's brothers entered a season of great famine and tribulation, so will the nation of Israel. Right. And when Joseph reappears, uh, the brethren that uh, previously tried to kill him bow to him in reverence as he supernaturally provides for them during seven years of famine. Some of y'all are seeing this. Right. And so similarly, Jesus, he's going to return. And re when Israel, who, who previously rejected and killed their Messiah in a season of great tribulation, will receive him. And he will supernaturally provide for their needs during seven years of crazy, crazy tribulation. And they realize that he is their salvation and they will willingly worship him, right? We, we can see, just like we can see the end of this story, we can see that the, the end uh, of the story of Jesus, not the end, really the beginning of the story of Jesus in Revelation. You know, you go to passages like Revelation 12 and you see the Messiah supernaturally providing for the needs of the nations of Israel. And in this seven-year period of tribulation. It's a beautiful picture. Uh, Philippians 2 verse 10 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and everything in heaven uh, and things in earth and things under the earth, right? And so we see both dreams. We see terrestrial, right? These sheaves bowing before the Lord. And we see celestial, these bodies, you know, the sun, the moon, the stars bowing before Joseph. 
And we see that every knee will bow in reverence to the Messiah. Every knee will bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. In Psalm 19 verses one through six, it says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. And them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there's nothing hid from the heat thereof. And so here we see incredible promises imparted to Joseph. And the obeisance that we see is a willing submission to a man that's going to save their life, right? And as we close, you know, the question on the floor today is, do you hear from God? Right? Just like Joseph, he's calling you and he wants to communicate with you. And he's asking you to bow in reverence and to worship him. Whoa. And this is not an infringement upon our rights, right? We can do it willingly because he's worthy, because he's do it, because in him we find freedom and not bondage. We get to willingly worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so I'm going to pray for you and we're going to end and be able to break up into our groups. Uh, but, but I do pray that you had ears to hear tonight. I believe that, that God had a word to communicate through the life, through the testimony, through the example of Joseph. And I believe with all my heart that, that he wants to communicate and to speak with you. And so if you don't know what that looks like, if you don't know what it looks like to approach the word of God and to hear from the God of the word, then man, I'd love to meet with you, okay? So Lord, I do thank you for the testimony, for, for the dreams that we have recorded of Joseph. Uh, I thank you that, that you were clear in your communication, that we don't have to guess at what you have for us, Lord, that we don't have to rely on our strength to interpret some, some crazy dream, Lord, but you've given us all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness in your book, uh, that it speaks to every area in our life, that, that it calls us out, that it rebukes us, uh, that it exhorts us, um, and that, that it leads to, to our maturation. And so, Lord, as we end tonight, uh, we desire to give you glory. Uh, that, that the whole of our lives would be typified by these sheaves and these stars that are bowing in reverence to their Messiah. And so, Lord, teach us what it looks like to, to glorify you, to worship you, to magnify you. Uh, and, Lord, help us to, to deal with whatever you showed us tonight through your word. We pray. Amen.